0: Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pittownchurch.com. Hello everyone, my name's Louise. I'll be reading this afternoon from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, from the Christian Standard Bible, or the CSB. That's 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Archaea, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that you you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many.
1: Well, good afternoon, every person. It is great to see you all here this afternoon. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. It is, uh, it is precious to us. In it, you describe and point to life. But uh, even more than that, it, through your word, you, you bring life. And so, Father, we do pray now that as we look at your word, that you would use it, through it, bring us life, that we would leave this place uh, strengthened, and encouraged, and more faithful, and Father, we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, all of us have had the experience where you've been sold something that didn't quite live up to the promise, you know, whether it's that you were you got the kind of burger that didn't look like it looked on the menu board, whether it's the car in the car yard, whether it's you hired a tradie to do a job at a certain speed for a certain cost and he just couldn't make it happen, whether it's a hotel or a holiday that didn't turn out the way that it was promised. Our lives are full of that kind of thing. Probably each one of us in this room have stories of being ripped off and cheated and not getting what we paid for. And no one likes it, right? No one likes being ripped off. No one likes being cheated and tricked and scammed by counterfeit imitation, phony, cheap knockoffs. We want the genuine. We want the authentic. We want what's real. We don't want the imitation, the cheap. And and we live in a culture of photoshopping and airbrushing and liposuction and Botox and lip fillers and filters and special effects and deep fakes. And it's hard to even ever know what's genuine, what's real. All we can say is that she probably doesn't look like that in real life. And that's all. We live in the world of the fake and the phony And people, you know, who say one thing to you when you're in the room, to your face, but then when you're gone, they say different things and you're not sure. Maybe you're not sure at all who is genuine, what relationships you have that are real and what ones are just fake and phony and empty. We want the genuine. We want the authentic. And today we begin our new sermon series on the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're calling it Legit, Genuine. In the next eight weeks or so, we're going to look at what does God have to say about what is genuine in life. And we're going to look at things like genuine faithfulness, genuine ministry, genuine leadership, genuine freedom, genuine approval. That is, what is real? What is true? What's legit? and what is fake. Because, you know, different people have different ideas about what all those things are, and and how the world, how life works, and not all of them are true. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at genuine comfort. We live in a world that is hyper-focused on being comfortable and avoiding pain, right? We live in the world of air cons and power windows and power steering and and TV that streams on my schedule and fast food and microwaves and home delivery and 5G. Comfort, that's our world. But there's that kind of perhaps lurking dread, that kind of gnawing feeling that maybe striving for comfort and avoiding pain is not all there is to life and maybe even that that's not actually even the path to true life at all and so what we're going to see today is genuine comfort what is real what is good and if you were here last week you might remember we saw Paul's surprising encouragement to the churches as he went back and visited them And today, in this uh, passage here about genuine, legit comfort, I think it might be just as surprising. But what I hope is that we're going to see something very clarifying and very strengthening and purpose-giving. And I happen to think that verse 6 is one of those kind of life-changing verses, but we'll come to that So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. What I want to do is, before we jump in there, just to kind of zoom out a bit and and talk about how did we get here. So when Paul first rocked up in Corinth for the very first time, it was about 20 years after Jesus had been crucified. Jesus was crucified roughly AD 30, and Paul rocks up in Corinth about AD 50, roughly 20 years. And he turned up to a Roman city that was at its heart, Greek. And it had this new kind of baby church. And Corinth was a place that was all about climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder of honor, social approval, social respectability, financial security, climbing. It was a place that was consumed with the now and the external and the beautiful and the strong and the impressive. And now there's this church who were following a suffering, crucified king, but in a city that prided itself on always coming out on top. And it all feels, I reckon, quite modern and 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 very Sydney. And it's true that everyone's life is messy and every church is messy and every church has problems. Some of them are being worked on, probably many of them are not. But it's also true that some places are more messy than others and some places are more imperfect than others. And Corinth was messier than the average bear. Paul's relationship with this messy church is complex and convoluted, and it was a city that was complex. The relationship's painful and complicated. After Paul had arrived, right, planted this church, he then moved on to the next place to go keep on speaking about Jesus, and he left this church. Within about 12 months, things had quickly begun to fall apart and the church has gone into like a bad way. And so about 12 months afterwards, he writes them a letter just to clarify a few things and, and, and explain how things should work. He's over in Ephesus. He writes to them and he mentions this in case you're interested in one Corinthians chapter five, verse nine, sends them this letter. They promptly read it and they file it under bin and ignore it completely. Don't do anything. So about a year later, Paul would then write what we call one Corinthians, which is actually the second letter that he wrote. Six months after that, Paul's trainee apprentice, Timothy, uh, heads through Corinth and finds the church in an absolute mess. So it's so bad that Paul drops whatever he was doing and travels immediately back to Corinth just to set things straight. And he calls it the painful visit. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, the painful visit, and it doesn't go well. And so it seems like then Paul left Corinth again after this painful visit. And he's genuinely not sure whether this church is going to ever get back on track or whether the whole thing's just going to crash and burn his relationship with this church is like shaky at best and so he sends Titus with another letter that he mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4 and this letter unlike everything else that he's tried seems to have done something and being kind of helpful. And so then about two years after planting the church, he then writes to Corinthians, which is actually the fourth letter, just to be confusing. And I tell you all of that just to kind of set the scene that on one hand, Paul loves this church so, so much. But on the other hand, this church drives him absolutely mental. And so he's writing to them here in 2 Corinthians and it's not obvious whether anything is going to turn out okay or whether this like the wheels are going to totally fall off this church completely. And to make matters worse, another group has arrived in Corinth who are preaching a different Jesus and a different gospel. They turn up, they were very impressive they were strong, they were triumphant, they were eloquent, they were impressive, they probably had nice teeth, they were beautiful, they were just impressive people. And they turn up and the Corinthians could go either way. They might stick with Paul, unimpressive Paul, crucified king, or they may switch teams and join this other group that's peddling a much more Corinthian gospel. It was a message of strength for the strong, and it was preached by impressive people for impressive people, and it was about triumph now rather than suffering. And so Paul writes to them, and he's desperately trying to persuade them not to pursue this flashy, glittery, shiny, but hollow new thing and to actually stick with the Lord Jesus and to stick with Paul, that Jesus is genuine and that Paul is legit and that his ministry is genuine and that his way of life is genuine and that all of it, this is actually the genuine article. This is what life looks like when you follow the crucified king. So he's persuading them. So with all of that, let's jump into chapter 1, verse 1, 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, and we're going to focus on verses 1 to 7 of what was read. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth with all The saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Let's just pause there. I don't want us to skip over this bit, even though it feels a little bit kind of introductory. He says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And the important question to ask is, is this how you see God? When you think of him, do you think of him as the God of comfort, all comfort, and the Father of mercies? Is that how you think? Because what you think of God how you see him, whether it's true or not, is vitally, vitally, practically important, right? Thinking about God isn't just, you know, fun for the theology nerds and the people who like reading books. It's actually about survival and about making it to the end because if it hasn't already in your life, the water will get very choppy between here and when you arrive at the harbour of being with Jesus in the new creation. Between here and there, it's choppy water. And there are a lot of people whose boats aren't as seaworthy as they sometimes might have thought that they were. Maybe you know people like this who started the journey with you, but for whatever reason have dropped off and sunk their boat. It's choppy water. And so Paul starts here because he knows that living a legit life starts with and is built on God himself. So what does this God do, this God of all comfort? Well, verse 4 says he, God, comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Now, that all sounds kind of complicated when you first read it, hard to understand, but it's, it's not as complicated as it sounds. I don't know about you, but for me, the word comfort is a warm, fuzzy word, right? It's it's pillows and blankets and soft furnishings and hot chocolate. It's warm. You know, it's, it's someone who says, there, there, it's going to be okay. It's not as bad as it seems. It's comfort. But for Paul and for the rest of the new Testament, that's not what the word comfort means. It's a long way away from warm, fuzzy, inspirational internet memes, right? When you hear comfort, don't think mummy wrapping you up in a warm blanket and stroking your hair and telling you how handsome you are and telling you that you're so beautiful and that those people who are being really mean to you don't know what they're missing out on. Don't think that. Nothing wrong with that, but that's just not what Paul means when he says comfort. Comfort's not that kind of tranquilizing sense of calm. It's an encouraging, it's a it's a, it puts steel in your spine to be able to face the challenges and the tragedies of life with unbending resolve and with relentless assurance that God is good. That's what he means by comfort. And that matters because it clarifies what he's talking about here, right? So think, think those kind of thoughts, right? Strengthening, encouraging, think those thoughts. And let's read verses four and five again. So God comforts us, he strengthens and encourages us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to strengthen and encourage those who are in any kind of affliction through the strength and encouragement we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our strength and encouragement overflows." See how it's like it feels different when you read it like that? Paul assumes here that normal Christian life is one of suffering and strengthening, that we would be encouraged so that we can be an encourager. Did you see in the middle of the verse the so that? Right. Why does God comfort you in your afflictions? Well, he says, he comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive, right? This is the normal Christian life. We face troubles and afflictions and sufferings and God strengthens us and encourages us so that we can strengthen and encourage others. And then it repeats. Which means that if you want to be useful in the kingdom, then welcome to the rest of your life, suffering and strengthening. But then he continues in verse six, and he says something, like I said, that I think is even more amazing, but you might just read over it and not notice it. So let's start in the middle of verse six. He says, if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. So far, nothing new. This is just what he already said in verses three to five, right? It's just like a summary of that. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. But at the beginning of verse six, he says something new. He hasn't said this part yet. He says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Just think about that. That's new. It's not just that suffering happens and then God comforts you and strengthens you and encourages you so that we can then strengthen others. No, the affliction itself is for your comfort. It's not just the comfort that's for your comfort. It's the affliction that's for your comfort. The affliction itself is designed for your comfort, right? Everything is moving towards this strengthening comfort. If I am afflicted, and I receive strengthening from the Lord, then as I am strengthened, I'm able to strengthen you. You are strengthened, but you're also strengthened through my affliction to begin with, both through my affliction and through my strengthening. And then when you're afflicted, God strengthens you and then you can strengthen me and I am also strengthened by your affliction. So whether the strengthening is directly from God or whether it's through you to me or through me to you, we're all being strengthened and encouraged to persevere and patiently endure. Right? Here's, here's how it works, because it seems an odd thing. Let's imagine something happens to you, you get really sick and you get sick and you suffer. But you face that affliction with unbending resolve and with relentless assurance that God is good and Jesus is still King and you will praise Him even in your pain. That strengthens and encourages me because it means that maybe I could do what you did when it's my turn. Maybe when it's my turn, I'll endure it like you did, and I'm strengthened. You might say, it inspires me, it strengthens me to keep going. And then my suffering strengthens and inspires you to keep trusting Jesus and keep praising him, even in your own pain and grief and suffering. Like Paul is unpacking and explaining this dynamic so that we know how life works, so that we know what God is doing in the world and in our lives. And it's, it's so very, very helpful. The end of 2019, beginning of 2020, was a, was a painful time in my life. Pretty much every area of my life, I was girt by pain. Gert, still a great word, still love it. Gert, it it was just pain. My life and the lives of some people who were very close to me, just a lot of pain. At the beginning of December 2019, my mum got very, very sick. And then January 20, 2020, she was dead. The funeral was January 28. It just so happened that I was rostered on to preach the Sunday after the funeral, a few days later. I could have swapped it out. Someone else could have preached it. Trav could have preached it. Someone else could have preached. But I just had like a conviction that I needed to prepare and preach that sermon. We had worked out what the preaching was going to be months earlier, the passages, who was doing it. My mum could have died anytime. But I was on the Sunday after the funeral. And it just so happened that the passage was about God's goodness and about how everything is plan A. God doesn't have a plan B because he doesn't need one. And that what we need to do is to stand firm in Jesus and trust his word. And so that's the sermon that I preached, and I meant every word of it with all my heart. And in that moment, my affliction served to strengthen and encourage others. And I mention all of that to you, not because it was particularly special, not because I'm special, but because it wasn't and I'm not. It's normal. It's normal and ordinary. That's how it always works. I struggle, suffer, and I'm strengthened, and you're strengthened. You suffer and struggle, and you're strengthened, and I am strengthened. This is how God has set things up. Verse 6. He says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. It's for your comfort. Because like we said last week, there are many people who, when suffering hits their life, They lose their faith in God. They don't trust him anymore. They ask, why me? And their faith tumbles down like a house of cards because that's what it was the whole time. And they walk away. But how does God keep you Christian? Because he does. How does he do it? Well, here, Paul kind of pulls back the curtain a bit to show us a glimpse of how God does it. And how he does it, is through the comfort that comes from affliction and suffering in your life and the lives of the people around you. Which means that your suffering is very important, right? When you're afflicted, when you suffer, you need to think to yourself, this is very important. What's happening is very important. And if you're involved with people in any way if you're if you're if you've got friends if you're in kids ministry if you're in youth ministry if you're in a growth group if you lead a growth group if you're a mum or a dad or a husband or a wife or a friend if you're involved with people then it's not just what you say and what you do that's important it's also important how you suffer And you might not have ever really thought of that before. But I think there's something really energizing and liberating in that thought, because it means that in all of our various struggles and afflictions and sufferings, in, in, in my struggles and your struggles, there is an important and profound purpose, both for you and me, but also for the rest of our church. Because Paul makes it clear here that the only possible outcome, the only thing that can happen when we suffer as we follow Jesus, is that people are encouraged and strengthened. The way that God has set things up is that if I am afflicted, then I'm encouraged by Him, strengthened by Him, and you are encouraged and strengthened by me. And if you suffer, You are strengthened and encouraged by him. And then I am strengthened and encouraged by you. But either way, the result is the same. We all get strengthened and encouraged to be able to persevere, right? God has set the church up so that we will thrive when life is hard. And that's a good idea because life is always hard. And so Paul says that when he suffers, he's comforted. And when he's comforted, they're comforted. And when they suffer, they're comforted, which all means no one needs to panic, right? Verse seven, he says, and our hope for you is firm. No one needs to panic because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. No one needs to panic. Now, you got to know that all of this would have been so hard for the church at Corinth to hear, right? Every fibre of their Corinthian bodies would have just been screaming at them that life was about climbing the ladder you know displaying yourself for social approval and and appreciation and and respect and financial security and and all those things like again imagine living in a world like that that was all about ladders of approval and social respect and financial security and instead of all that paul is desperately trying to persuade them to help them see that the church belongs to God and that the gospel needs to be not just believed in their heads but also lived out in their lives. And so he's trying to persuade them that real life, genuine, legit life isn't so much an upward march to recognition and appreciation and prestige, but it's more like a downward slide along with each other through opposition And affliction into disgrace in the eyes of the world. But that as we go on that slide alongside each other, that we'll find strength that we could never have hoped for, and that we'll find encouragement that we could not have even imagined. And there's probably something in all of us, just like there was in the Corinthians that strives for personal success and appreciation and notoriety and recognition. But Paul wants the Corinthians to aim for something higher than that, better than that. He wants them to aim for patient, faithful endurance until the end. Right? Our world thinks the Corinthian world and our Hawkesbury-Sydney world, our world thinks that comfort is to be found in avoiding suffering. Comfort is found when you minimize it and you block it out from your life. But what Paul wants them and us to see is that the reality, the true, legit comfort, is only actually in the midst of suffering. It's the only way. And this has been Paul's lived experience. He knows how this works. He's seen it in his own life. Paul's usually pretty reluctant to talk about himself in his letters, but not here in 2 Corinthians and not here in chapter one and not here, especially in verses eight to 11, right? He now shows how these principles work out in his real, his real actual life. And we're not going to spend time here in verses eight to 11. We could unpack and think about stuff, but what we're going to do, I'm going to leave that for you to discuss in your growth groups and see like a lived out example in Paul's life of what he talked about in verses three to seven. But here in, chapter one, Paul is, he's walking a tight path. What Paul says here is that suffering is actually good for us to go through. But on the one hand, it's not something that we should be looking for and seeking out and and trying to create for ourselves. That, That would be wrong. But on the other hand, it's not something that we should be trying to avoid at all costs either. But as suffering comes to us from God's hand, and that's where it comes from, from his hand, it comes to us with a purpose, not least of which is to strengthen us and to encourage us and to strengthen and encourage those around us. And to remind us not to rely on ourselves and to remind us to set our hope on Him. Not our circumstances, not our health, not our job, not our friends, not our ministry, not our mum, not our dad, not our giftedness, not our intelligence, not our successfulness, not our finances, nothing else. But He wants to remind us to set. Set our hope on him. Our objective is not to aim for comfort in the sense of a lack of suffering. Our objective is to aim for real, genuine, legit comfort, which is strength and encouragement in suffering and through suffering. He says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Suffering and strengthening. And being strengthened to be a strengthener. That's what genuine comfort looks like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for... The Lord Jesus and his life, not of pristine ease, but a life of suffering. And we see it in him, we see it in Paul. And Father, we do pray for each one of us in this room as we go through our own issues and struggles and afflictions, that you would strengthen us and through us that we would be a strengthening to others. And Father, we do pray that you would be at work in amongst all of us, in our afflictions, in our strengthening, that you would be strengthening us to make it to the end. And Father, we pray that you would help us not to pursue that cheap, phony, imitation comfort, but the real deal. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.